the commitment toward being a steward of God is not a feeling or an urgency that most people grow up with. It consists more of a functional decision that needs to be made on a daily basis. In other words, you have to start and commit to good stewardship, and then you have to reapply every day. Second is, it is not a task or commission that one works towards, but instead is a personal commitment and choice that is validated and renewed on an ongoing basis. Now, I gave you, um, if you would just skip to my pillar definition of stewardship, pillar definition of what stewardship is. And it says, stewardship is the acknowledgement that the spiritual, physical, financial, and relational resources entrusted to us, that those resources, in fact, belong to God and must be faithfully accounted for. Stewardship recognizes that there is a role that you play where the resources are in your care, but you are not the owner of them. What do you mean? It's my money. Hold up. Hold up. Right? We believe that resources, ultimately, the ultimate owner of everything is God. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so how I manage what he has put in my care is a thing that God uses to determine whether or not I'm prepared for the next destiny step that he has in front of me. Last time we talked, we went through... Um, what we call four key principles for maximized living. And I spent significant time on this one, so I'm just going to hit it for review. We said the first is superior stewardship. That's what this series is about. The second is supernatural supply. The third is seasonal significance. And the fourth is spiritual sensitivity. When we talked about the first two, we talked about the fact that sometimes people on the superior stewardship side often have um, in Christian circles almost a, a love-hate relationship, sometimes it's hate-hate, with people that believe and practice and preach supernatural supply. It was interesting that since the time that we started this series, that there has been a big blow-up um, in, in social media where um, Reverend Benny Hinn almost renounced supernatural supply. And... Um, talked about how people were so excessive in terms of asking God or asking people for thousand dollar offerings as if they can buy a blessing. And he went into it and you, you know, you can go out and search it. And then I saw on the other side that another, you know, very prominent minister, um, Dr. Mike Murdoch was rebuking him for, you know, rebuking that. And, uh, so it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it ain't even the young people that blow up on social media and blow back and forth, just so we clear. <laughs> but the significance of it is, is supernatural supply is a principle from heaven. God created it. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Adam had wealth in the land that he did not work for. Supernatural supply goes all the way back to manna in the wilderness. God, give me this day my daily bread. So supernatural supply is, is not a problem. But what happens is sometimes people supply things, God supplies things supernaturally that we're bad stewards over. So the scripture says that the children of Israel came out of Egypt 
with silver and gold, and there was no feeble thing, no feeble person among them. Anybody read that? Know that I'm preaching scripture. But when they got out, the problem is if you don't give the people a vision, they will create some other thing to do um, to use their wealth for and be a bad steward. So instead of what God had given them that was was to be used for a tabernacle, they used for a golden calf. All right. So. Um, they actually turned the wealth into something that worked against God, not something that was for God. Um, and so what we have to be careful is even when God supplies supernaturally that you need to be a good steward over it. And then you also want to make sure that you understand what season you're in. In some seasons, God will tell you it's time to save. And my definition of savings, and you'll hear me talk about this in future in future. Um, teachings on this is savings is um, manifested provision for future needs. Is God providing me today for a need that I have tomorrow? Amen. Yeah, that's what that's the, that's the definitions of what savings is. So savings is a biblical term. I didn't cuss at you when I tell you you need to save. All right. So storing and saving is, is an important thing. But even there are times when God tells you, reach into your bag of substance that you saved up and give me a seed. And you have to understand the season that you do that. Like he says, honor the Lord with your substance. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. And with the first fruits of your increase, substance sits Increase flows. So you have you have accumulated substance and you had already tithed when you saved. And then God tells you to reach into your savings and still give him an offering. Well, if you are a steward, you don't go back to God and say, that's my money because I already gave you your 10 off the top. You don't do that. You understand the season you're in and when it's time to sow. On the other side, God can also tell you like he told Joseph, there are going to be seven good years and seven lean years. In the seven good years, you need to save up now because this will be the provision that you need in the seven lean years. And listen, the earth works on biblical cycles of increase in famine. That's a Bible principle. And so sometimes we don't understand biblical economics and all we want to do is treat our giving like it's a slot machine to get us out of trouble with our bad stewardship. And so we want to just, all I'm saying is, if you understand these four principles in the right format, then you are balanced. You won't be somebody that's just over on one side or over on the other side and not able to flow with God. Do you see the balance in this? This is this is why this is so important to me. And what I told you before is if you really are a steward for God, it'll get you over into the supernatural supply because you will sow. You will say if all the money is God's, you don't have problem giving him the 10 percent that he wants in his offering. But if you just want to do the 10%, you can blow the 90% saying, well, I gave God mine. Pastor David, why you talk about that so much? Because I did it. I'm preaching. I'm preaching my own experience. I can remember the time um, our current General Motors vice president, 
Gerald Johnson, who is a pastor and um, leading all of the stuff that's happening with the union right now and negotiation. God bless him in Jesus name. Bless him in Jesus name. And um, he was down in Marion, Ohio. And um, I was young and him and Bishop were kind of my mentors. And uh, I drove down there and was just to go get counsel. You, you drove to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good stewardship thing. Like counsel is worth pursuing. If it's not near you. Go get it. That's what the Queen of Sheba did. People, kings came from all over the world to hear Solomon's wisdom. So he had wisdom. I needed it, and I went to get it. And I was telling him about what debt I had and how I got into this debt. It was my fault. I didn't supernaturally get into debt, I, I, but I was believing for supernatural to get out. And he laughed at me. How much money you make, David? God has already provided you enough to get out of debt. Just handle your business. And I got in my car and drove on back to Michigan. Praise the Lord. Okay. So what I'm telling you is that we want to be balanced, people. The, pre, the reason why this thing was so controversial that blew up since we started this series is because people are just out of balance. It's all of it's true. All of it's God. But you can do any one thing out of balance and then you miss God. And so you just want to be a person who understands how to move in all of these things and have them be a part of your life. And then God will speak to you on it all. Somebody say amen. All right. Now let's look at our scripture. This is where we ended last time. And this is where we're really starting today. Luke 16 verses 1 through 13. And Ken, verse 10 is our key verse. This is the verse. When I understood this verse, this verse changed my life and set me on the trajectory of the prosperity that I already have. And listen, just so we all clear, I'm not done yet. <laughs> because this principle is a principle that will work as long as you work it. Stewardship will work as long as you work it. And you can always continue to qualify for next level living by the current stewardship that you're manifesting. Luke 16 verses 1 through 13. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man, a certain rich man, a certain rich man. So this is not, they, they called it the parable, but Jesus was talking about a, a specific person, a certain rich man who had a steward. This is a true story. And an accusation was brought to him that the man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm not, I'm not cut for manual labor. <laughs> I am ashamed to beg. I don't want to be on the corner with a sign. Verse four, I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Who are the they? We're going to get that answer in verse five. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to, to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Now, verse eight is one of these scriptures that really bug me. 
but hallelujah, it was Jesus, so I got to deal with it. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. The wrong people are using the right methods and succeeding. Verse 9, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Make sure you know how to use money to curry relationships. Verse 10 is our key one. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So how you handle the small thing shows me right now how well you'll handle the big thing later. You don't have to be a minor prophet to see somebody mismanaging something small and understanding that that's a prophecy about their future. A person who is unfaithful in the least thing will be unfaithful in that which is much. A person that is unjust in the least thing is unjust also in much. You know, in the midst of everything that's going on, there was some... Um, you know, we're in the midst of negotiation and there's some stewardship issues that were failed, that have miserably failed. In the people that represent the people that's actually doing the cars. They have miserably failed. That's a stewardship issue. They have violated the trust of their membership. And my own pastoral commentary, and they're using the strike to be a smokescreen to draw attention away. But that's a story for a different day. All right. But hold it. That didn't start when they had millions of dollars. You start out being unfaithful in the little thing. That opens you up to unfaithfulness in the big things. So what you do is you try to fix it while it's small before it gets to be big. Look at verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. All right, 12 key points from the account of the unjust steward. 12 key points from the account of the unjust steward. Number one, the wealthy man had a wasteful steward, right? Somebody of wealth, somebody of means, a certain rich man, Jesus said. Fortunately, the wealthy man had multiple systems of information. He had checks and balances. You always get in trouble if you only got one source of information. This is a big deal, okay? In your stewardship system, particularly when you have to depend on other people, make sure that you put in redundancy. Make sure you have a system where you can make a list and check it twice. Never trust one person to give you all your information about anything. All right. That's a principle. If that rich man hadn't had some other like 
sometimes people think, man, you, you hear the same thing over again because I'm looking for the lie. I'm looking for the lie. I'm looking for the inconsistency. And when I find an inconsistency with a person, then I look at that person again and again. I'm listening to the same thing over and over again, over and over again. I'm listening from that person, from that person, from that person, and from that person. And when I see something that's inconsistent, I stop. Now, um, an honest fool can, can cost you more than a capable crook. That's why Jesus had a Judas managing his bag. He was crooked, but he knew how to handle money. But you got to keep an eye on the crook. Jesus said, have I not chosen 12 of you and one of you is the devil? He knew he knew he had his eye on him. Everybody on your team is not really for you. You got to have a way to look after your stuff and look after the people who are looking after your stuff. All right. That's a stewardship issue. Or the way the Bible says it in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. So I, I don't take it as gospel until I done heard it two or three times. And if this is true, my thing is, I say, okay, this person told me A. And if A is true, then B should be true and C should be true. So if I hit A, then I put that someplace and I file it. And then I ask somebody about B. Not the same person. I ask somebody else. I might not even tell that person that that person told me A. I'm asking him about B. And then I'm, when I get done with that person, then I'm going to ask this person about C. And I'm going to look at the data, make sure some, something's wrong here. If A didn't imply B and B didn't imply C, something may be wrong with A. Something may be wrong with B or C. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? That's what you have to do. Number two, the wealthy man issued a notice of termination to the steward for poor stewardship. Wasting of resources, squandering of possession. That's what stewardship is. This man had wealth and resources, and the steward wasted them and squandered the resources. All right? Firing people is biblical if done for the right reasons. You only say that because you, you're in management. No, I'm in management because I understand this principle. Listen, it's biblical. Um, God fired both Lucifer and Adam over mismanagement of resources. Don't touch this one tree, Adam. Lucifer, you can, you, you can transition the glory, you can traffic in the glory, but you can't consume it on yourself. The Hebrew word for Lucifer is Hallel. And it was supposed to be Hallel, you, Yah. Yah is the name for God. And he said, I'm going to take it on myself. He mismanaged resources. Number three, the steward deciding on his next career recognized that he was unfit for manual labor and too proud to beg. <laughs> Look at number four. From his interactions with his master's debtors, we can safely infer that he was manager of accounts receivable. If I was to give you the current name for that position, the person who, who represents the company to make sure that all the accounts that we have invoices out for get paid in a timely basis is the manager of accounts receivable. 
All right. Number five. Now, this one seems like a wordplay, but I'm going to make sure you understand what I mean when I say it. Okay. Number five says, know what you're supposed to know, then know it. Know what you're supposed to know, then know it. Let's talk about that one. This is a play on words, but I'm trying to communicate a very important stewardship truth. In any area of responsibilities, there are key areas of knowledge that must be mastered. One of the first things you should know whenever you come to any position of responsibility is what are the categories of information I am responsible to understand better than anyone else? Okay. Pastor David, as an engineering manager in this area, there's some things I'm supposed to know. Man, I got <laughs> been on vacation, got a real interesting call this morning. Jesus, Lord, help me. Praise the Lord. And I had to get on the game, man. Had to get my team, had to get my leader in the room, had to get on the whiteboard. Okay, this is what you need to understand. And I had to lead it so that he understood I knew what I was supposed to be doing. David, you're on point for this. Yep, I got it. I had to know that that's something I got to know. I can't just expect my people to know and then not understand what they're doing enough to make the listen check it twice. So I like that stewardship picture that uh, the media team used, that you measure twice and cut once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to check it before you actually do the thing to make sure everything's in order. Know what you're supposed to know. Okay. Then once you have figured out what are those things that you're supposed to know, make a system to know those things better than anyone else and a plan to act on information in such a way as to maximize, not squander the associated resources. What is the thing you're supposed to know? Whatever position God has given you. As a parent, what are you supposed to know? You should, as a parent, know what, what prophetic um, destiny God is dealing with your child in. What are the areas of iniquity that you got to get out of them? What are um, the resources that they need to get ready for their destiny? You got to know certain things and make sure you own it. When I grew up in the Johnson household, we said, man, some stuff we can't get away with because my mama prays. She knows stuff that other parents don't know. We were confident in her knowledge that God would tell her on us. Okay, she knew that whatever your position is at church. Listen, I got to know this word before I get up and just say something. I'm not going to say get up here and just try to just wing it. I had to spend some time studying. What does the scripture say? Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right. So whatever, know what you're supposed to know. What are the categories of the of the information you're supposed to know? Right. Talking to a person about um, a musician and opportunities. And he said, can he play in all keys? Okay. For that, for that level of, of assignment, he was like, listen, don't, you don't hit the transpose button in my church. You got to know how to do it. All right. That was a, a thing you're supposed to know. And then you, once you figure out what you have to know to be successful in that area, then you put a system together to learn that thing and then to know that you know it better than anybody else. Number six, 
the reason that the unjust steward was unjust was that he was supposed to know and, tra and track the payments for goods and services rendered. But rather than knowing it, he, asked that he had to ask the debtor for the amount of the debt. Now, I done told y'all, I'm going to call it supernatural supply. If my, <laughs> if my mortgage owner ever call me and say, we don't know how much you owe us, I'm going to tell him the answer is zero. And then I'm going to say, in Jesus' name. I'm going to say, I was supernaturally, my debt was supernaturally canceled. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. No, they better know their numbers. But I better check them too. Because they get it wrong too. Amen? All right. So, so, but, but it would be, it would be poor stewardship for them to have lent me money and then not to keep track of my payments. Okay. So we have to hold each other accountable, don't we? Amen. All right. Look at number seven. Built into the payment of debt was the steward's commission salary. We know this because the owner commended him for reducing the debt, but covering the owner's cost. Because if he had stole more money, he wouldn't have commended him. He was already dealing with him for wasting his goods. But he said, listen, you did something smart. Even though, now, now look at the significance of this. You're about to lose your job. You should, you know, uh, you could take all the money right now. You about to lose your job, right? And sometimes when people are in financial deals, they want to rake everything out of the deal instead of leaving some equity on the table. He said, listen, it's better for me if you owe my master 100 measures of oil and my salary would be 50 of that 100. It's better for you just to take the 50 and then be wanting to hire me if, he, if, I, if you owe him 100 measures of wheat and my, and my commission is 20, it's better of you just to take the 80 and then when I come out and say, hey, my resume's on the market, you know, for me to have the favor, then for me just to get all of what I can eat right now. People, see, that's what Jesus is saying. People in the world do this better than folks in church. Folks in church are like, that's my money. That's my money. And then you be seeing saints get ignorant. Now, I know that's not the word, but I think you understand what I mean. All right. So to do that, what he did, you must understand what is the cost structure of your manager and your organization. Whoever you report to, what is important to them? In home, there is a reporting structure. It's parents above children, husband above wife, and God above them all. What's important to the leadership? Adam failed as a husband and then blamed God and the woman for his failure, didn't he? God, this woman, this woman you gave me. Fingers was pointing every other direction except him. But what he failed on was a stewardship issue that there was something in the garden he had to care for but could not consume. What about, what about at work? Who are the people that you need to understand their structure? The, the manager, the owners, the shareholders, if it's a publicly traded corporation, what's important to them? 
what's in church. And if you if you're a part of an auxiliary or department that's helping the church, a volunteer organization, it could be the functional leader, the pastor and ultimately God. What about school? If you are a teacher, you need to understand what's important to the principal, to the school board, to the parents and to the students. Everybody answers to somebody. That's my point. And every person you answer to has has something that's important to them. What I had to deal with today in a situation, it was a good situation, no harm, no foul. But there was something that was important and it wasn't the intangible thing. It was, you know, you know that there is political capital, just like there's economic capital. You don't want to listen. You don't even want to make your boss look bad. If you're doing it right. I'm just saying you want to make your leadership look good because they expend. Why? Because your Bible says your Bible says the one you carry with you, the one you brought with you to church says a good name is better than gold. So if they lose a good name. Over issues that you that you cause, then you have reduced something, even if it's intangible, you still cost them negatively. Does that make sense? Often in negotiation, you can reduce your own commission to curry favor for repeat business. But you must see to the needs of your immediate manager and the ultimate owner and advance both of them simultaneously. Sometimes the immediate manager only wants to do what's good for them and not what's good for the ultimate owner. And you got to be able to manage all of that. That's part of living in an organization. Somebody say amen. Eight, 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 eight. Often the wrong people are using the right methods and winning. We believers should be better at utilizing wealth to strengthen relationships with people versus manipulating people to accumulate wealth. You know, sometimes it was interesting that I uh, was listening. Uh, we had went to the conference at Shake the Nation's great conference great men of God, like Dr. Martin Williams. I mean, he does an amazing, amazing ministry. And Bishop Tudor Bismarck um, was there from Zimbabwe, globally, massively gifted preacher. I, I, I think he's probably one of the top five well-known preachers in the planet, just my own humble opinion, but there's some data behind that. And um, he talked about how early in his ministry, he was making the moves he was making. And there was this, you know, regional apostle there in Africa, um, Ezekiel Guti, and how this man, when God called him to the ministry, it was like, and he had thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in his organization. And um, how it was like Moses on Mount Sinai and people saw the glory came down on the mountain and the place is still charred today. And he said when he went to see him, he brought an honor seed. OK, now somebody I don't make now. Now, listen, if. If Apostles Guti required it or said, you just got to do it, that's one thing. But if you bring it, that's a different thing. You're what Samuel said, we need to inquire of the man of God, but we don't have a gift to give him. And when he took him a gift, it opened up the door to let Saul 
all the way to the kingship with an honor seat. Pastor, are you saying everybody got No, I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you this is what I do. I'm not telling you you got to do it. You got to do you. But I understand how to use, how, how to leverage what God has given me financially to sow a seed to cause not people to favor me, to cause God to favor me through people. We were there. Another guy gave me strong prophetic word about situations and so on. And I had a, a, had some cash in my pocket. I sold it. He was like, no, no, I don't require it. I said, no, no, that's not you. I'm not saying it because you require it. I said, this is my protocol. And nothing to do with you. This is me. All right. I'm just saying now, pastor, are you just saying this because every you want everybody to give you money? Nope. I'm telling you what I do in situations when I'm going to somebody of greater rank that I'm believing God to open up a door through, or open up wisdom through. Right. But I do that not just in ministry. This is see people, people lock stewardship in the churchianity. This is for me is not even a church thing. How do you how do you curry favor at work? All right. My, my statement is. Within the realm of your own authority, develop relationships that enable your work performance, make them as positive as possible. Whatever you have, learn how to work with people. Some pastors call me, man, man, Pastor David, Pastor David, um, man, you really taught that series. Can I have them notes? Now, for me, that's true wealth. True wealth isn't the dollars. True wealth is what I'm able to do with that word. Now, um, some people, if they give you their notes, they charging you money for them. And listen, my notes is worth something. Don't get it twisted. And some of them I do because it's, it's a stream of income that the Lord makes available to me. That's fine. But I'm not going to take everybody trying to get money out of everything. You see, that's the spirit. That's a spirit. Okay. Um, on, uh, sometimes I'm just sowing a seed, believing for the relationship to be strengthened. And then out of that, Joseph, Joseph didn't charge everybody for his dream. And then two years later, when, when, when his time came, God caused the person who he sowed a seed of his gift into to cause him to come out, and it ultimately resulted in his promotion. Now, he could have said, well, I only do it if you do X, but he didn't do that. I'm just saying. Do you see? I'm just telling you, you need to build relationships that make work better and easier. There are certain people who will look out for me because I've invested capital. Not all of it's financial. Some of it's relational capital into our relationship and you got to know what the margin is because some things like I tell people some things I can do for you other things is not is above my pay grade I can't I'm not empowered to make that decision that would cut into my company or my leader's cost structure that's a I can't do that but this margin here I can use to help you do you understand that that's a way of thinking you become an entrepreneur. You got to know how to do that. 
you got to keep your eye on the cost so you can't so you don't go out of business. But you also got to know where's the margin that you can really grow some favor here that will result in repeat business, whatever your business is. Amen. Look at number nine. Being faithful or unjust in the least stewardship responsibilities is a picture of your future stewardship or much more. So here's the key. Develop systems of faithfulness. Resolve your misdemeanors before they become felonies. Don't miss your opportunity to practice. He that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful in that which is much. David was faithful to fight for sheep. So God knew he would be faithful to fight as the shepherd of Israel, not just the shepherd of his father's sheep, but of the heavenly father's sheep. He showed his faithfulness in this one area that caused him to be promoted to another area. So what you want to do is, I went back through some notes and I said, okay, I got this principle. So whenever I would go into the, a job, I would say, here's the key things that are in this area. And this is how I'm going to be faithful in this area to qualify for promotion. Right. My ministry team knows there's a way that I I cycle and recycle messages and then I build on them every time. So so this this truth here about stewardship is like 20 plus years old for me. But when I look at it again, the Lord showed me something else. So I go back and look at everything the Lord told me about. It's still true. It's the word of God. Heaven and earth passes away so I can preach the old message, but I add a little bit more each time. So the next time you hear it, it got more than you heard it the last time. That's my way of stewardship of the word of God. What I'm telling you is that you can, I do that same thing in engineering. Do that same thing in managing people. Right. How do I learn and cultivate people to get the best out of them? How do I make investments so that when I need to make a withdrawal, I can make a withdrawal? All right. Some people don't invest in relationships and they always come in for a withdrawal. That's why they checks don't. That's why they checks bounce. Checks bounce in marriage all the time. And when your checks bounce, then people bounce, too. Woo. All right. So I want to develop systems of faithfulness. When I see issues where I have been unjust in the least thing, then I work to resolve those things. When God is dealing with me about private sins that are small, I deal with them before they become public sins that are large. And people all around call me out for something that I did large publicly. And then don't miss your opportunity to practice. You know, I remember as a young man, I believed that God was going to make me a great musician one day. I believed he was going to make me a really great musician. And so I could see myself on stage doing music. I could see myself being, you know, the person that does all of this kind of stuff. And so my opportunity to practice was coming up to the church, getting the key, turning on the turning off the alarm, coming in here and practicing by myself for the thing that I'm asking God to do for me later. 
people want to wait for the big break before they want to start practicing and preparing. No, you're supposed to prepare in the least thing. You're supposed to not, according to Zechariah, despise your day of small beginnings, but be faithful in the small thing because you're believing God to take you to much. That's why I believe Luke 16.10, this superior stewardship for me is the key to supernatural abundance because God grazed my stewardship. And if I demonstrate to him where I am that I can handle more, he'll move circumstances to get me my more. That's more than sowing seed like a lucky charm. That's more than that. Learning how to handle what you got, you know. Learn how to handle $5. I told God. <laughs> the Lord has shown me, you know, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy where the Lord make you a thousand times more. Scripture in Deuteronomy, early in Deuteronomy. I'll find it. We can talk about it. And so I was like, God, Yes. I sold my seed. You're going to make me a thousand times more. I knew I knew what my salary was at that time. I said, God, I'm believing you to make me a thousand times more. And he said, hold it. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Then I'm going to tell you that you need to treat five dollars like it's five thousand dollars. Because if you're faithful in the five dollars, you'll be faithful in five thousand. If you're if you if you're unfaithful blowing five dollars on an unhappy meal, then when you get it, you'll blow five thousand dollars. If you'll waste fifty dollars, then you'll waste fifty thousand dollars. If you will waste a hundred dollars, then you'll waste a hundred thousand dollars. You understand what I'm saying? That's what that principle means. So you learn how to be faithful over what you have now. And if you do that, you demonstrate to God that I'm ready to handle more. People want more and they're not they're not they're mismanaging what they have right now, asking God to manifest more. I demonstrate I'm faithful with what has already manifested in my life to demonstrate my faithfulness to the destiny God is calling me to. Being faithful in that, which is least being faithful in much. Number 10, being faithful with and in the world's money system. That's what mammon is. Unrighteous mammon It's unrighteous because it's the world system. Being faithful in that system is a picture of how you will handle what Jesus calls true riches. I want to handle the level of wealth that's called money, which is the lowest form of wealth. We can't say it's not a form of wealth, right? Let's not be spooky. Long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else, you know? I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I would, too. I'd rather have him if I had to choose. I don't have to. I'd rather have Jesus with silver and gold. I'm just saying. I didn't say Jesus was silver and gold. We got to verse 13. We'll talk about unrighteous mammon versus serving God. I'm just telling you 
that I can demonstrate faithfulness with money and show how I handle true riches. That's why, to me, tithing is a faithfulness issue. I want to be faithful in my management of what God, the portion of resources under my care that God requires me to sow. All right. In 2 Corinthians 9, God tells you that a certain part of what he's manifested in your life is seed. Another portion of it is bread. Um, some people, most people try to eat their seed. But there is sometimes people who try to plant their bread. Because they will use this. I'm just going to I'm just going to get my way out. Some of that he wanted you to keep. So you have to be able to, you have to have enough wisdom to understand what's bread for me to consume. What's seed for me to sow. Because he gives me enough bread until my seed multiply. That's what 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10 tells you. I got to eat until my harvest comes. What do I eat until my harvest comes? The bread that's manifested. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I want to demonstrate faithfulness in, in my money in all categories. What I save, what I spend, what I sow, what I use. All of those areas need to have categories. Okay, this is the part I've allocated for savings. This is the piece that I've allocated for sowing. I sow off the top and then I save after I sow. A part of everything you have is yours to keep. Now, it's not the first part. You ain't first. God's got to be first. He's got to be first. But if you don't put yourself on the list, you will always be in need because you can't handle resources without them burning a hole in that pocket. All right. But if you've done that, if you if you're like that then there are certain things God will never talk to you about because you can't handle true riches because you haven't demonstrated your ability to handle this unrighteous mammon. That's what that scripture says. It is worth a study all by itself to understand what does the Bible call true riches. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. So your spirit man must be true riches. Husbands, your wife is true riches. Because her price is far above rubies and her spirit, according to first Peter, first Peter, if properly adorned, is in the sight of God of great price. The preaching and teaching of revelation knowledge from the word of God is true riches and ministers are called to be faithful stewards over it. So how you handle physical wealth gives you a sense of how you will handle spiritual wealth. Which is why God chose great stewards like Moses, David, Daniel, Peter, and Paul to give true spiritual knowledge to. Moses was faithful as a shepherd, and God told him to be shepherd over his people. All right? So, like some, some, some preachers treat work like it's just a... It's the thing I do until the church can pay me more. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold up. Had one guy, young minister, when I was in college, he said, hey, I'm going to stay in school as long as I am because work is under the curse. Hold it, brother, hold it, 
hold up brother. No. There was word before there was a curse. You, you about to jack up your life. How you handle some of these people, they trying to preach stuff like, <laughs> listen, if you was better at work, your preaching would get better, too. Because you, you would have done what the people, what you're telling the people to do. Does that make sense? All right. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 49. We're, look, we're dealing with number 10. How you handle money, natural wealth, determines how you handle true wealth. True riches is what Jesus said. Okay. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So he's talking about resurrection as seed, time, and harvest, but the seed is your physical body. All right? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Yep, yep. The body that we see at a funeral is going to dishonor because it is corrupting, isn't it? But when you have, when you're raised from the dead at the resurrection, you'll take on a glorified body. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. Watch this. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being living soul, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first. The spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. That's the key point. If you haven't been faithful in what is natural, God will not give you to trust what is the spiritual riches. And the natural is first. That's why we have you be faithful in tithing before we try to put you in spiritual offices in the church. Because the natural is first and then the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heaven, heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, of Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Recognize you must be a good steward over the natural before God truly entrusts you with great spiritual wealth. Take on the natural with supernatural focus. Use the power of the last Adam to pass the stewardship test failed by the first Adam. That's what he means when scripture says, whatever work you do, work as unto the Lord, not unto man, because the Lord will reward you for the good that you do. You don't do a good job because you got a good boss. You, go, you do a good job because you ultimately work for the Lord, not your boss, because when your boss is treating you bad, you still got to do good. Look at number 11. Being faithful with what belongs to someone else is a picture of faithfulness over what is your own. 
you've not been faithful to that which is another man's. Who would give you that which is your own? God don't even trust you to give you all of that dream you have about having your own this and having your own that. If you can't demonstrate to them that when he puts an assignment to be faithful to somebody else's, that you can be faithful to their this and to their that. That's why it's important, whatever your dream is, to find someone at the next level of fulfillment and serve them. Mary, go find you an Elizabeth. That's why you don't mess up apartments, believing for houses. You don't mess up dorm rooms. You don't intentionally break leases and then leave bad debt around. You don't you don't tear up foreclosed houses. Nope. You fix it up even if you got to get out of it. You don't mess up rental cars and it don't matter. No, it matters. You're being faithful, asking God to give you that which is your own. I remember one of our fathers in the faith, Dr. Mark Barkley, has been here at a leadership conference several years. And then he talked about how in his early days of ministry, um, he just didn't have the money that he needed. Ministry was a certain size. Lord didn't let him go to work. Praise God. He ain't told me that I had to get off and just depend on people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But that's what he told him to do. And he was as faithful as he could, but he couldn't. He had a car he had signed for. He couldn't make the payments. So he didn't hide the car and make them come find him three streets over. Shot me down when I'm preaching good. He called them. I cannot handle this right now. You need to come get it. Hold it. Before he gave it back, he cleaned it up and made sure it was ready. He didn't trash it and then have him come find it and have him to jack it off. And, and the repo man was stunned at his stewardship. Well, I'll tell you what, they not coming to get his cars no more, his trains, planes, or his automobiles. In Jesus' name, he practiced good stewardship. Even when he didn't have the quote-unquote supernatural supply, he was a good steward over what he had. It's a sin for you to trash a house that, that, that you're being foreclosed on if you can't make the payments. I'm preaching really good. I know people just think it don't matter. No, it matters. God's watching. You haven't been faithful to men's. A trail of unpaid bills is a big deal to heaven. Pastor, pastor, why are you preaching this stuff so hard? Because this is the stuff God preached to me. And he taught me to sit down, sit my happy self down. And I, you know, I wanted him to get me. I wanted him to supernaturally cancel that, that I got in very naturally. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it was all, <laughs> you know, the devil didn't come up on me. And, you know, there wasn't a spiritual event that got me in there, but I wanted a spiritual event to get me out. And I'm all for supernatural. Listen, listen, pastor's all for supernatural. But sometimes I just need to be a good natural steward. And it took me time to get in and it and the debt I got in easily. It took me years to get out, but I did. Pastor David went cash and carry. Lady Nedra will tell you, I, I was very, it took her a long 
times to get me to, to even deal with credit. I was like, no. And I would get all, because I had PTSD from my last financial failure. So it took me a minute. Then I had to listen to her. I'm like, no, nah, I need a second witness. Bishop, you am I okay? Yeah, brother, you need to calm down. Okay, okay, I just, I just needed some help. It wasn't because she wasn't telling me the truth. She had been a good steward. I was overcoming my bad stewardship. And I didn't want to drag her down with my mess. It wasn't, I, it wasn't no, I, I had no ulterior motive. But I knew what it took for me to get through my dumb days. And I didn't want to be dumb no more. I'm just saying. And so we want to be people who know how to be faithful over what other people have. Serve faithfully. It's not, oh man, um, you going from being a senior to being a servant to being a second? Oh, you going backwards. Hold up, man. Hold up. No, I'm practicing Luke 16 faithfulness, stewardship. I'm, I'm, I'm not done. <laughs> I haven't hit my, my, my promised land yet. So if there's a seizing of service that God has in front of me, it's because of the size of the thing he actually wants to give me in the end. In Jesus' name. All right? So be okay in your season of serving. Be good at it. Be counted on. Be faithful. Man, there's some, <laughs> I told people, there's some people, you know, I might not know if you was at church, but other people, if they're not here, I know it. I feel it. It feels different. Because if you're faithful, it feels different than if you just show up and sit and come in and go out. Same situation at work. All right? You want to be that person that's known for being faithful to another man such that when things happen to you, everybody's concerned. Look at number 12. I think this is as far as I want to go today. We'll pick up with definitions next week of steward and stewardship. Look at number 12. Ultimately, stewardship must be, must be done with the right heart for the right reason. You can't serve God and money, but you can serve God and allow money to serve you. Money is a great servant, but a terrible master. It's a great servant. Um, part of the reasons why you want to have savings and put them in sound investments is so that money can work for you, not you always working for money. You, you need to accumulate some wealth that can go out and be working for you to get more wealth while you're sleeping. Money, money is a terrible master, but you need it to work for you. You need to accumulate resources and let that money work on your behalf and for your benefit. I'm going to work so I can get the almighty dollar. No, the dollar is not almighty. There's only one almighty, and then it's not the dollar. Certainly not the U.S. dollar. If you know anything about global economics and biblical economics, you know that I'm telling you the truth. What you want to be is a person 
who serves God and then God causes wealth to come to you. These signs, not these signs, these blessings will overtake those that hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord God. He will cause you to be above and not beneath. Blessed will you be empowered to prosper in the city and in the field. You shall lend to many nations and not borrow. That means you have wealth that's sitting and that can go out to other people and bring you multinational wealth back. But you got to, you know, it's, it starts with a mindset and then it moves on to management. In the midst of your stewardship and accountability to people, recognize your ultimate accountability and judgment to God. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of all your stewardship. The Lord is always watching. That's why you want to be a good steward. The boss may not know that you came in late and left early. But God always knows. He may not see. That's why scripture says you don't, you don't work with eye service as men pleasers. You're always working because when people don't see you, God always sees. There is another principle that goes with stewardship. It's the principle called visitation. And what happens in scripture is you are faithful or unjust over a period of time. And in that period of time, it seems like there's no either benefit or consequences to whether or not you do it good or bad. You're just in the stewardship season. But there is coming a visitation when God's going to come by like the manager who, who went A, B, and C and check whether or not you're doing right. And when he checks you, you will either go up or go down. You will not stay the same. We do not know how long after Adam ate the, ate the fruit did the, the visitation appear. But when it appeared, his things changed. So what we want to do is to be that kind of steward, believing that when God, when God comes to visit me, that it'll be a season of promotion, not demotion. Let us not be weary in well-doing. That's in the stewardship season. For you shall reap in due season, the season of visitation, if you faint not. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they did not know their time of visitation. Had they accepted him as their Messiah, they could have went on into the millennium from there. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you missed your day of visitation, and so you will be destroyed, is what he said, paraphrasing. So please, please understand that stewardship, I, I, I believe that if I stay a steward long enough, God's eventually coming for me. Now, that's one of the ways I stay faithful. I stay faithful because I believe, like, if I just keep, I have songs about faithfulness. If I labor, God's going to give me a crown. So I'm going to work. 
in the vineyard. Sun is going down. Things that encourage me to stay consistent in the will of God. Because I want to be a good steward. I believe that God has given me all kinds of resources. Your physical body is a resource that's fearfully and wonderfully made. How you treat it. He said, if you destroy this temple, I'll destroy you. Everybody know that that's scripture? I'm not making that up. And so how you treat your body also is a stewardship issue. Right? We're going to talk next, next week about the definition, the biblical definition from this Luke 16 of steward and stewardship. What does that mean? We're going to spend some time breaking down that and we gave you these core principles of stewardship and we're going to just give you some some examples of that and then show some other scriptures that deal with God empowering people and rewarding them or punishing them on the basis of their stewardship.